Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, another fantastic day. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning and growing in God's Word. And here to help me that with that today is Jeff Verdorn. We're going to continue our study on who is this Jesus. And I think today we're going to be talking about atonement, which is going to be a spectacular hour. Jeff is a uh, Bible teacher, a friend and mentor of mine, and always look forward to his clear uh, teaching. Love having him on. Jeff, welcome. Good afternoon, Bill. Why, thank you. And I think today's topic is atonement. It is. I thought we would review a little bit last time and then move right into this concept of what actually happened on the cross. We call that the atonement. And a quick story. <laughs> I'm So I'm driving in and I called my mom up. I often call my mom up on the way to the radio program or on the way home. And and uh, so I called her up and she asked me what I was talking about today. And I said, well, the atoning work of Christ on the cross. What happened on the cross? And she said, well, he died on the cross for my sins. And it's like, well, there you go. There's the hour show <laughs> right there. It's about that simple. And uh, yes, mom, you you are right. He died on the cross for our sins, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more. It's a, it's a topic, there is a lot of discussion around the atonement, but in this hour, we're going to try to keep it simple, keep it biblical. What does the Bible say about what happened on the cross and the pictures that it presents? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. This is, I think, part four of our series, Who is This Jesus? And I love uh, I love where we're, we've been going with this. And, and I, I know this is a, a cha- can be a challenging topic for some. First of all, atonement's a big word. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes people don't even know what that word means. So I'm looking forward to uh, our teaching. Good. Well, let's, let's look back at last time, just briefly. And we were discussing uh, Jesus in the Old Testament, and specifically the prophecies in the Old Testament for Jesus. So we actually went through last time uh, 83 direct uh, prophecies in the Old Testament for the coming of the Messiah. Now, who knows the future but God, and only God can predict what's going to happen in the future, and he has done just that. In fact, he's done it and he's 100% accurate, 100% reliable. And in fact, some commentators have said that fulfilled prophecy is God's fingerprints on the Bible. No other book anywhere in the world has the kind of provable, fulfilled prophecy like Scripture. And by the way, he's proven 100% about what he's prophesied that's already happened. He has a whole bunch of prophecies and promises that are going to happen in the future, and I think we can trust him that those are actually going to come true, just like everything he says. We actually broke it into a little bit about um, some of the prophetic types or pictures of Christ, of what he was going to come and do. So there's prophetic types in people, and there's prophetic, prophetic types in events, and even inanimate Objects are prophetic in in some ways 
uh, towards the Messiah and what he's going to do in in the New Testament. So we walked through those, but specifically we walked through uh, the direct prophecies. Some of those direct prophecies um, we we know uh, a bunch of the descendancies of Jesus that he would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, and and so on. But in the final week, some of the final week prophecies is that, for example, he'd be he'd enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, he would be rejected by his own people. He'd be betrayed by a friend for thirty pieces of silver. Um, and uh, he would be uh, spat upon and struck on the cheek. Uh, he'd be beaten and disfigured. Um, he would uh, he would be cut off from his people, executed by crucifixion, uh, Psalm twenty two, hung on a tree, uh, thirsty on the cross, given vinegar to drink. People would hurl insults at him. They'd shake their heads, but not one bone would be broken. The Old Testament says, and and all of these were fulfilled in the narrative of what happened to Jesus on the cross. A couple more were that his death would atone for sin. Isaiah 53, he was the lamb that would be slaughtered. Oh, that's very relevant to what we are now going to look at today. That in the Old Testament, in chapter Isaiah 53, are some very powerful uh, pictures or prophecies about what Christ would come and do. So I want to start by looking at Isaiah 53 and some of the things in Isaiah 53 that point to this coming Christ. So it's awesome. Me, but it's me, a great recap, Jeff. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So let me pull up Isaiah 53 here and start reading. You know, when you think about this picture... Um, and and, and of, of the lamb. And there's actually a number of pictures about lamb sacrifices. The Passover lamb, for example, this is a really big one when it comes to the atonement. Israel would have known for 1,500 years that every Passover, they were to select a lamb without spot or blemish and sacrifice the lamb. And that and 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 so this passover lamb was a picture of what the first passover was all about they took some of that blood they put it over the doorpost as we know and the death angel passed over well we've got other pictures in the old testament uh for example the the day of atonement the priest would sacrifice uh take the blood walk into the holy of holies once a year and only once a year and he would make atonement for the his sin and for the sins of Israel and he'd take that blood and he'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat and and if you recall last time I mentioned this incredible picture that that mercy seat was where he sprinkled the blood in the holy of holies which is basically the top of the ark of the covenant right and there's an angel on one side and an angel on another well, when the disciples came into the tomb of Jesus where he laid as the Lamb of God, what Paul says, our Passover Lamb, who takes away the sins of the world, his atonement work on the cross, what did they see? They saw the place where his body was laid, and they saw an angel at one end and an angel at the other. And it's like, oh, that was a prophetic picture that God gave Israel and the world hundreds of years ago before the events happen. And so when you when you think about this, uh, John chapter 1, for example, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming down towards him, and he says, quote, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Well, what are the components to this amazing statement by John the Baptist? We have a lamb, and we should our, our minds should go straight to that Passover lamb. He takes away sin of whom? Of the world. Now, that last line is one of these big debates as it relates to the atonement. So we're going to have to cover that here in a, in a minute. But let's go to Isaiah 53. Now, I'm going to read some portions of this. It's not too long, but you have to see about 10 pictures or so of the future Christ that is to come and what he will do. All right? So Isaiah 53 is this wonderful messianic chapter in the Old Testament that points straight to the cross. And it says this, of him, him, he, Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. You know, by the way, pause for a second. That's an interesting comment. He had no beauty or majesty. Whenever you see a picture of Jesus, it's typically, he's typically portrayed in portraits and paintings and so on as a pretty good looking guy, right? Mm-hmm. And yet Scripture says there was nothing about his appearance that attracted us to him. I actually think Jesus was a pretty average-looking person, not this you know flowing hair, good-looking person that's often depicted in paintings. He was despised. Now, here's the important part coming up. He was despised and rejected by man, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely... He took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Remember that word stricken or smite or smitten. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he, and, and, and he was crushed for our, for our iniquities. You should be thinking in your mind and going right to what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's right at the cross. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wound, now I'm going to render that in the singular because I believe that in the Hebrew, it's a singular word, not wounds as is often rendered in the English. And by his wound, we are healed. We are saved. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. That happened at the cross. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and he didn't open his mouth. He was cut off from the living. The Lord's will was to crush him, and he bore the iniquity of us all. He bore the sins of many. If you keep reading, this is a picture, a prophetic picture of the coming Messiah and what he's going to do on the cross. He's going to die for the sins of of the world. Well, great time to take a break. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing our great series called Who is This Jesus? We'll be right back after a short break. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. The way they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, 
Up music belongs to Jeff Verdorn. He's my guest in studio as we're talking about who is this Jesus. We're in part four of our series on this. And before the break, Jeff mentioned the word stricken, and he said, make sure you remember that word stricken. Well, Jeff, um, I have not forgotten it yet. So maybe <laughs> it's time for you to elaborate on that before I do forget it. Well, great memory. It is interesting because this word appears a couple times, and I'm going to put them together. Do you remember when Moses, at the very beginning of their exodus, so they were in the desert for 40 years, at the beginning of that, uh, Moses was told to strike or smite the rock. And if he smited the rock, that water would come out. But at the end of the 40 years, he was told to speak of the rock. But he, he struck it a, a second time. And then he was punished by God and not allowed to enter the promised land. And I've asked this question of classes over the years. Do, do you ever wonder why God seemed to punish him so severely uh, for striking the rock a second time? I mean, it worked the first time. You know, couldn't he do it again? And and But God had said, speak to the rock. And Moses, most people say, well, he disobeyed God. Well, yeah, he did. He He didn't listen to God. He struck it again. But still, there's something about, well, wait a minute, that, that seems awfully harsh. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that or not, but I haven't. It always kind of seemed a little harsh. So what's going on? Well, Moses was told to smite, Hebrew, nakah, strike or smite the rock, and water would flow out, Exodus 17, verse 6. Jesus was smitten or stricken, nakah, same Hebrew words, for sin. Isaiah 53. Now, 1 Corinthians, with the rest of the New Testament, we get more of the picture. First, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that they ate and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them in the desert, the Israelites, and that rock was Christ. All right, so now we've got this picture. The rock that Moses was striking is a figure of Christ. It's a prophetic figure of Christ. And we can never forget that Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as Scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. So you strike the rock who is the Christ, and salvation, streams of living water, will flow out. But then at the end of the 40 years, in Numbers chapter 20, Moses is told this time not to strike the rock, but to speak to the rock before their eyes and the water will pour out. But he strikes it again. But God told us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Christ has died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Isaiah 53 predicts that he will be smitten or wounded for our transgressions. Christ is smitten or struck once, not twice. You speak to the rock now, and the living water will flow out. Acts 2 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You speak. 
speak, and now you're saved. Moses, I think God was so upset with Moses because he was messing up this picture of salvation that he was trying to paint in the Old Testament that Paul talked about in Corinthians. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. I love it. And I think that's why Moses was not allowed in, because God was giving us this picture of the Christ who was smitten once for all and sat down at the right hand of the Father, we now know in the New Testament. And that's exactly the picture of Moses' rock. Cool. That's, that's so cool. All right. So this atonement, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, now, this is where we get theological a little bit. And I understand that this debate has been going on for about 500 years now that we're going to discuss But I want to paint the picture from Scripture of who Christ died for. What does all mean? When it says he laid on him the iniquity of us all, I think all means all. Romans 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. 1 John 2, 2 continues basically. He says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, so whose sins did Christ die for? 1 John 2 spells it out very clearly. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, believers' sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, when when we, this is where it gets tough, when we start talking about what it truly means to atone for sins, we got to understand there's a cosmic event going on here on the cross, right? I mean, in some way, shape, or form, God is taking the sins of the world, placing it on this Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin or to be a sin offering is probably a more correct rendering of that verse. Him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think in the end, really, this atonement is is a very straightforward concept, right? My mom said, he died on the cross for my sins. That's it. That's what Romans just read. That's what we just read. He who knew no sin, that lamb of God without spot or blemish, became a sin offering, that Passover lamb, so that we would be reconciled to God, have peace with God, be born again, and be made righteous. We would be saved. And in the end, it's, it's basically that simple. Yet there is, there is more, I think, that, than what we probably can even know this side of glory of what actually is occurring spiritually on the cross. So that's why I think God has painted these images or these pictures to, to, to give us a picture of what's happening spiritually on the cross. So we have Moses and the rock. We have the Passover lamb. We have John the Baptist saying, behold, the lamb of God. We have in the Old Testament sacrificial systems, this thing's called the scapegoat, where the 
priest would put the the sins on the scapegoat and then send him far away. Well, that's really a description of what's going to happen on the cross. Christ is going to take our sins away. He took our sins upon him. You see, at just the right time, Paul says in Romans 5, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, By the way, another clue here. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. Who was ungodly? Everyone. Everyone has fallen short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All are ungodly. So there's another clue. We'll continue that here in a minute. Wow. So the the Day of Atonement is another picture. The Day of Atonement, we know in the Old Testament, the priest would go into the mercy seat like I was talking about earlier, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat for his sin and the sins of Israel. Um, we have the picture from Hebrews that Christ is is not like the high priest that went into the temple once a year. He is a different kind of high priest who was sacrificed once for all, like we were talking about. Hebrews says that he is a more perfect sacrifice because he didn't pass through the earthly temple and the earthly sacrificial system. He passed through the heavenly uh, sacrificial system in the heavenly temple. And the earthly is just a shadow or a pattern of the reality which is found in heaven. Um, So the entire Old Testament sacrificial system points to the sacrifice that is coming of Christ. There's just lots of pictures that by the time John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, Israel should have understood what they were, what he was talking about and what he was referring and what the Christ was going to do. He was going to be pierced for our sins. And remember, one last point before we go to break at the half hour here is why we need the atonement in the first place. And that is because of this guy named Adam and Eve who ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and fell. Man fell. And so now as Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, we are now dead in our trespasses and sin. God said if you eat from this tree, you will die. And they died, not physically, but spiritually. They died that day. And so that is now man's problem. And God also says that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22. So if God's going to rectify this problem of sin, there's going to have to be blood. And now here's this cosmic system that God has set up in some way. There needs to be blood in order to have forgiveness. Hebrews 10.4 says of the blood of bulls and goats, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It merely covered it, but it didn't atone for it. It never washed anybody clean. It just was an annual reminder of their sin, if you will. And it Mm -hmm. needed to be repeated over and over and over. Never made anything perfect. So Christ had to come into the world and be the more perfect sacrifice and shed his blood and be sacrificed once for all. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll continue with Jeff Verdorn as we're talking about who is this Jesus. We'll be right back. Show with Bill Arno, drive time, drive time. 
get started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have my friend and Bible teacher Jeff Verdorn in studio. We're talking today about our series, Who Is This Jesus? I'm awfully glad uh, that we're talking and tackling this topic. We're discussing atonement today. Not always a simple topic to understand, but Jeff, you're doing a great job. Mm. Let's uh, continue. Um, Italian, by the way. The song asks, what, what's for dinner? It's Italian tonight. I'm going out for Italian tonight. So that's, oh, nice. that's what's the, for dinner. So. Nice. Rub it in. Yeah. Just rub it in. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll invite you next time. Just sounds good. All, All right. right. So atonement. So we have to get into now a little theology and uh, look at a couple of the main varying opinions on this idea of atonement. So generally speaking, the, the debate is was Christ's work on the cross, was his atoning work on the cross limited to some, specifically the elect or those who are saved, or was Christ's work on the cross universal? Did Christ actually die for all? And if he died for all and not for some, why aren't all saved? So that's the that's basically the debate. Now I I recognize that this is about about half of Christianity kind of falls on one side and the other half of Christianity falls on the other and this is a debate that's been going on since five, for 500 years since basically the time of Calvin. And so we have this Calvinism versus Arminianism uh debate and this idea of atonement in these five points. Remember, Calvin had five points that he uh, proposed in his theology, and Jacob Arminius had five points as well. Well, the third point is this idea on Calvin's side of limited atonement, but on the Arminian side, it's the idea that there's that Christ's atoning work on the cross was universal. Um, so, but it's really it's it's the third of the five, and it's really central to this whole idea. I mean, really, the rest of the points, I would argue, kind of hinge on this idea of whether or not Christ's work on the cross was limited to some or universal to all. So we need to look at these two things and look at what does Scripture say specifically who Christ died for. So I've got a number of passages, and I'm going to read each one and just say a quick little comment about them as we go. Are you ready? Now remember, each one of these passages, by the way, we should be reading in context, kind of the verses around them and stuff. But generally speaking, they they stand uh, alone. We can understand what they're saying by just the verse that I'll read. Uh, but we have to decide, does the verse represent the subset of believers or all people in general? All right, here we go. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who's the us in this passage? Well, it seems like it's believers. So that one kind of points to that Christ died for believers. Romans 5.18. This is just a few verses after this. It says, The result of one act of righteousness of Christ was justification that brings life for all men. Hmm. Romans 6.10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins, 
Now, Paul is describing it as our, again, meaning the believers that he is talking to, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. But 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. 1 Peter 3, Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Well, once again, who is unrighteous if not all men? All people are unrighteous. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags, right? It says in the Old Testament, before we're saved, obviously. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Well, that kind of points to both, that he died for us that that have been raised, but he also it also says he died for all. Um, he God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us. Well, there's that word us again. First Timothy two, Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all men. All. Uh, by the way, it goes on to say that he is the savior of the world. Hebrews two says that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And Hebrews 7 says he sacrificed for their sins once for all. I mean, this kind of keeps going and going and going. I have a list of probably 40 passages that says that he offered for one time for all people sacrifice for sins. The death he died, he died for sin, one for all. He was the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's the savior of the world. And I read this passage earlier because this one pretty much puts the debate, I believe, to bed. And that is 1 John 2, 2, where it says this, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, there's the believers, the elect, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this verse makes it very clear. He is describing both the elect and the non-elect sins here. And he says he was the atoning sacrifice for the elect sin, and not only for the elect sins, but also for the unelect's sin. And I think it's clear. Who did Christ die for? I think he died for all. And that is exactly what the Lamb that John the Baptist said when he said the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I believe that he died for all. And there's a beautiful, actual historical story that I love to tell, and I love to describe this because I think it sums up the atoning work of Christ on the cross and how it relates to mankind and why, if he actually did die for everyone's sin, why everyone isn't saved. And that is the story of George Wilson. Now, George Wilson was an actual guy. He lived in the early 1800s, and on December 6, 1829, he and his friend, Rob James Porter, robbed a U.S. mail carrier truck in Pennsylvania. And in the process, a government worker was shot and killed. Well, the two men were caught, and in, but in 18, and they were tried. They were found guilty of capital murder, and they were both sentenced to hang for their crimes. But someone that knew George Wilson happened to also know President Andrew Jackson, who issued a pardon for George Wilson. 
But Wilson rejected the pardon. Well, this had never happened before. The government didn't know what to do. What do you do with a guy who's been pardoned but rejects the pardon? And unsure how to proceed, the government took the case into the court system to determine what to do, and the case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, if you don't recognize the parallel here, let me, let me spell this out. George Wilson had a problem. He stood condemned before the authority, right? And he was found guilty, and he was judged and sentenced to death. Mankind, in the same way, also has a problem. We have sinned before the authority, who is God. We have been found guilty, and the penalty for that sin is death. Man has a problem. We stand condemned before a holy God. Well, George Wilson's case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and Chief Justice John Marshall wrote this in the majority opinion. He said, quote, A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. That's the government in an earthly case, right? That's God in a, in a universal case. Excuse me, which exempts the individual on whom it's bestowed from the punishment that the law inflicts for the crime that he has committed. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is rendered, and if it is to be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it upon him. Oh, wow. What a picture. Wow. So what happened to George Wilson? Well, he was hanged. But the question is, why was George Wilson hanged? Was George Wilson hanged because he killed a man? Was George Wilson hanged because of his sin? And I would argue, no, he wasn't. He was hanged because he refused the pardon that took away the penalty of the crime that he committed, but he rejected. And so George Wilson was hanged because he refused the pardon. And in the same way, man broke God's law. Man is guilty before God, so God sends Jesus to be the Savior of the world and to die for the sins of all and, and, and pardoned all mankind for their sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God has pardoned the whole world, but God's pardon must be accepted. And if it is not, that is why men perish. Second Thessalonians 2, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. So Jesus died for the sins of all. He pardoned all of the penalty of sin. But that pardon must be received. To those who receive Christ, that's who he gives the right to be called children of God. Well, Jeff, let me uh, just interject and give listeners a chance to uh, make sure they know who you are 
Jeff Verdorn is my guest, and we're continuing a, a great series that we started a couple of months ago called Who Is This Jesus? We just want to learn everything we can about him. And today we're talking about atonement. And that George Wilson story is amazing because that pardon is available to all of us. Uh, mm. We can go from being dead in our sins to alive in Christ. All we have to do is um, receive that, that pardon of what Christ did on the cross for us. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that a awesome. great picture? It's it's an actual historical picture. And, and there's been a lot of pastors and preachers who have used that story to describe uh, Christ's atoning work on the cross and over the years. So uh, I didn't I didn't come up with it, but it's a beautiful picture. Yeah, you wonder what uh, what would have caused him to to not accept it. But then there's we know people every day that are refusing the gospel. They're refusing the gift of salvation and the gift of God's love and grace. They're doing it all day long. I asked that in a class one time, and and the and I've always wondered. I've never read anything about his motivation of why, but somebody said in a class, pride. Oh, pride. Yeah. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. When in doubt, pick pride. There that you usually, go. Usually uh, works, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break. Jeff Verdorn again is my guest, and we are talking about who is this Jesus. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other faith radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. I hope you've had a good day. Thanks for spending some time with me today. I always look forward to hearing from my guests and the teachings uh, every day. My teacher today is Jeff Verdorn. We're talking about who is this Jesus. We're in a series. I think this is about episode number four. We'll have many mm-hmm. more to go, many more ahead. And we're talking about atonement today. But Jeff, let me ask you this. Why do people perish? Mm. Yeah, so we were just talking about this story of George Wilson and why he was hanged right? Because he refused the pardon. So in the same way, over and over and over again, God tells us why people perish. And it's because, like Matthew 11 says, they did not repent. Uh, Matthew 23 says, I, how I remember when Jesus says to Israel, how I've longed to gather you uh, like children together, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing uh, Mark 16, whoever believes and be baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 10, he who rejects me rejects the one who sends me and will be condemned for it, uh, Scripture says. Um, uh, Luke 22, if you are the Christ, tell us, they said. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will still not believe me. John 1, they did not receive him. John 3, whoever does not believe stands condemned Already, whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Do you see a pattern here? Over and over, you refuse to come to me, Jesus says, to have life. You do not believe. You do not believe in him 
um, over and over and over. I got a whole list of here. I'm just kind of deciding which ones to read. They still would not, even after all the things Jesus had done, the miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe. Uh, Remember Thomas, doubting Thomas? Stop doubting Thomas and believe. Acts 14, but the Jews refused to believe and stirred up trouble against their brothers. Um, Men who suppressed the truth, they didn't glorify God. They rejected the truth, Romans 2, um, on and on and on. But the main one, the I think the one of the biggest ones, as I read it earlier, they First uh, Thessalonians two two they perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. So anyone who does not believe in God has basically uh, John says made him out to be a liar, and he has not believed, and therefore he still stands condemned, condemned before the one who has the authority over the execution of the laws. In George Wilson's case, it was the President of the United States. In our case, for sin, it is the God of the universe. Um, so I, I think that's why people perish. They refuse the pardon. You know, a lot of people say, you know, this God of ours is this angry, vengeful God, you know, kind of that needs to be appeased. You know, he's this this angry God up in heaven that needs, you know, a blood sacrifice, kind of like, you know, okay, let's find a virgin and throw her into the volcano kind of thing, right? And it's like, no, that's not the picture. The picture is, is that God loves us so much that he himself provided the sacrifice for our sins. He became the sacrifice. He didn't demand us to come up with a sacrifice. He became the sacrifice and became the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And if you don't believe that, God says that you will perish if you refuse God's pardon. And so that's that's the picture. And uh, But if you receive it, oh my goodness... I've got some great news. If you believe in me, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Salvation comes to those who believe. Salvation comes to those who accept God's pardon. And this is pictured over and over in Scripture. Um, uh, The woman at the well. When Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says that they're, she's drawing water and he's telling her about her life. And, and he goes, if you would have known, if you would know who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water and it would well up to eternal life. She needed to ask for it. Call on the Lord and he will answer. Uh, the picture in Revelation chapter 3 where it says, I stand at the door and knock whosoever opens the door. I will come in and eat with them and they with me. That opening of the door is a picture of faith. That is a picture of accepting that pardon. And when you do that, God will come in and save you. He will forgive you. He will wash you clean. He will give you the right to be called children of God. He will make you born again. He will redeem you. He will rescue you. He will reconcile you to himself. He will give you peace, his peace, you will be at peace with God. You will no longer be far away, but you will be brought near. You will no longer be dead in your trespasses and sins, but he will give you life. Um, this is this great salvation, and it all opens up 
through Christ's atoning work on the cross and God's pardon for sin. Yeah, wow, that was a, a great presentation of that, Jeff. Um, a great reminder of what God's done for us. It really is, and I think this debate... It's kind of an unfortunate debate but that's been going on for 500 years. I mean, it's just like the enemy to get us arguing over stuff like this. Um, um, and, and I and I get it. I have I have a particular view, and everybody should have their view. But I, I I just challenge everybody: get your views about atonement and who Christ died for from Scripture. We've just rattled through I don't know 20 passages or so about about the Scriptures describing who Christ died for. And one camp says that he died for some. Another camp says that he died for all. Uh, but remember, uh, one camp says that once you're saved, you have to persevere to the end to prove that you're part of this group called the elect and salvation. And we have another, the other side say, no, you can walk away from faith and become unsaved. Um, I actually believe in, in, in the assurance of salvation. Once you are pardoned and you are set free, there's no double jeopardy in our legal system, and I don't think there's double jeopardy in the in the heavenly legal system, if you will. Once you receive the pardon and forgiven of all unrighteousness, it's done. And I believe Scripture points to, and I've, we've talked about this many times on your air, uh, that we have an assurance of salvation, that once we've been saved, we've, we have eternal life, and that life lasts eternally. If you could receive eternal life and then lose it, it was something just short of eternal now, wasn't it? It's kind of yeah. the thinking. But but it's it's I believe this because it's declared so many, so many times in Scripture. One of the things that happens when you're saved is you receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians 1 that when you believe, when you receive that pardon, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. That's assurance of salvation. First Peter says that, that praise be to God to, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, here's this inheritance again, that can never perish spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until that day. So he who keeps us saved, who keeps us secure in Christ, it's God, and it's God's power that keeps us assured. That is biblical assurance. And to 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 Again, these two sides, this kind of Calvinistic and Arminian side, these two sides of this Christian debate, actually neither one of them, neither one of them teach true assurance of salvation. And I think the reason why is because they, they're missing this this understanding, the simple understanding of the atonement, but, but the rationale is not important. How do they miss it? Well, on one side, on the, on the Calvinist side, there's this idea of perseverance of the saints— but you don't know today, Christian, if you're going to be the one who perseveres to the end and thus prove that you are saved. So do you have any assurance of salvation? And the answer is no. You don't know if you're going to be one who perseveres. On the Arminian side, they say you can walk away from safe faith, stop believing, and lose your salvation. I don't think that's possible. But the point is that as an Arminian, 
you do not have assurance of salvation because you don't know if a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, you might be one who walks away from the faith and thus becomes unsaved. So neither of these kind of traditional historical camps, I don't believe, has has an understanding or teaches true biblical assurance of salvation. And, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. It's actually an interesting point because a lot of people think that the Calvinist side does teach assurance because it's perseverance of the saints. But notice the wording even of the title of that, perseverance of the saints. Who's responsible for persevering in in that line? It's the saint needs to persevere to the end to prove that they are one of the elect. I just read from 1 Peter that says it's God who keeps our salvation in heaven, shielded by God's power until that day. And I tell you, I would will teach and preach and speak on our assurance of salvation every opportunity and chance I get. Because I find that one of the biggest issues in the church is that people are 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 worried or fearful or concerned in some way, shape, or form that they are going to do something someday, somewhere, somehow, and they're going to lose the favor of God and get kicked out of the kingdom of heaven some way. And I'm here to tell you, I think once you're saved, you're saved for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do hear that often, that people are afraid yeah. they might make one a mistake and all of a sudden they're in trouble. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I love the fact that our salvation is stored in heaven, protected in the vault. It's a beautiful thought. It is. Amen. Jeff, great teaching today. Thank you once again for uh, this study. Who is this Jesus? Jeff Redorn has been my uh, my guest. And the teacher for this hour, if you missed any of it, I do recommend going to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. Make sure you hear it from the beginning. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.